0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: Once again, once again, once again, you're tuned in live to your 15 minutes Radio Network. And we are talking beyond words with Shanessa White and Darrell Douglas. How are you guys doing today? Good. 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 Awesome. Awesome. You know, it's been a long, what, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, (laughs) 12 weeks? It seems like it's been a year.
0: I mean, yeah. It's does, does
1: anyone know what day it is? Seriously, what day is it? It's,
2: if it were um, not for Beyond April Words, I,
1: wouldn't, I would not know it was Tuesday. But I just have to be honest. The days when I'm trying to explain something to people lately, I've been saying it happened last week or maybe not. I don't know when it happened, but... This or that happened. So is anyone else experiencing that right now, just the days are just melding together here
0: or something?
2: It's the, I think oh, it's sure. the, and the random naps too. Like I've been taking like, you know, a random three to six, you know, six to 8 p.m. nap, and it's really throwing everything off. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm not okay, happy,
0: but the days are running into each other. <laughs> it's like, you know at the weekend's here, and the weekend feels like Mondays.
1: Oh, my God, yes, yes. It, it's an endless cycle of news and, you know, so many things that are going on. And before we got into the subject, I really just want people to know that, we are all, in, in, in a sense, quarantined as well, and, you know, we're, we're going through the same things that you guys are going through as far as, you know, family and friends in our different parts of the country, different parts of the city. So we want our listeners to know that, you know, we, we certainly understand what they're going through as we have these discussions. You know, we always want to go beyond words just to let, you know, everybody know that there is hope. And there are some things that we can certainly do to make this better, and not just for ourselves but for everyone that's listening, so yeah, the days are uh just running together for me as well um, we you know the the elephant that's in the room that continually sits in the room and and waits for us to do something and uh, waits for us to remember that they are in the room. Is uh, the impact right now on the most vulnerable populations? And I'm sure all of you have heard uh, the statistics in regards to minorities and, in particular, African Americans and how this is really impacting us. Uh, Chanessa, you know, give us your view on. Um, what populations are being impacted? You know, of course, there are the African-American population, but what other uh, populations that maybe people aren't talking about at this time that are being impacted?
0: Yeah, you know, I it's funny because this came up on Saturday. It just it's mystifying to me how we forget about, um, you know, everyone is not safe in this quarantine just because they're at home. So when I think about the people that are mm-hmm. most vulnerable, besides um, you know people who are suffering from homelessness, um, there are those that are stuck in abusive families, and there are those mm-hmm. who are fighting and in fighting depression. Um, when I think about the most vulnerable, I think about those people who, you know, home is not home for them; it's just a house. So. I think from the homeless, Mm. um, you know, it's amazing to me in Texas that all of our domestic violence shelters are nearly full in the state. El Paso, Texas is reporting 30% jump in domestic violence calls. And that's underreported. if you think about the people who can't call. So I do worry about, Homeless. I worry about transient people as well as, you know, people who are here under, you know, they're illegal immigrants. They're still people at the end of the day. These these are some very vulnerable populations out here, and there are not a lot of safety nets for these people right now.
1: So, Shanessa, so you, you mentioned that... Um one of the most vulnerable populations, like you said, um, the people who are in abusive households. And uh, I happen to know someone who is in that situation. And, you know, it was interesting to me because there was this pressure to stay at home, you know, go home, stay home. And you know, celebrities are reading books and all of this stuff about that, and I get it. But there is a population who feels the pressure to go home. But as you said, it's not a house. You know, it's a house. It's not a home, and they're dealing with things that's unimaginable to to those of us who aren't experiencing that right now. And there was a report on the news, um, and a reputable news agency said that. In Houston alone, the domestic violence reports went up 79% compared to this time last year, and that's a 7 and a Mm 9, not 7 to 9, 79%. So I think one of the things we have to be careful with when we're kind of putting the pressure on people to stay home, instead the message should read stay in a safe space you know, find that safe space that you can go to instead of you need to stay home, you need to stay home. And I understand we all started off with that, but um, when someone um, told me their situation and they indicated that they would actually rather be at work, of course, Mm -hmm. than to work from home because their living Mm -hmm. situation and they felt like they didn't have anywhere to go this is these are their feelings, what they express so how how do they deal with that what what does the community do with that? You know of course, we have to change the messaging from you know stay to f home and all of that to staying in a safe space. but what can we do um to assist in that?
0: Yeah, I think it's important for. Oh, go ahead, Daryl. No, that is
2: no. go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I think it's important for us to think about. Um, you know, I. People have been like, you know, this the Texas governor is trying to force the, you know, to return to normalcy and reopen the economy, and he's going to announce a plan this week, and people are all up in arms about that. Um, I'm not up in arms about it. I do want to understand what plans are. That doesn't mean that it's, you know, we are going back to our normal routines next week or tomorrow. It might be several weeks from now. But I think there has to be some level of hope, and in a plan comes hope. And maybe that, and and I'm with you, I've talked to people who are in less than ideal um, home spaces and it's like just knowing when this could possibly end will give people a measure of control because there's none. But what we could do as people to help them is to look to those entities who are asking for help right now to help expand their shelters or to help Feed and clothe um, the children who are caught in this situation. There's like not a loss of agencies and you know, private shelters, etc. In our state, that need assistance right now because they're just not getting it. And when we think about shelters sure. and stuff closing down, I do just want to mention that a lot of the a lot of the infrastructure that helps these. <laughs> companies or these shelters and businesses that um, cater to these people who who are in this situation, a lot of those agencies are now working from home or they're closed and Mm. or they're part staff. So it's even creating more of a problem um, because what was possibly there before to help them isn't there. So I think that's one thing that we could do is offer that assistance. But just like you said, you know, tell them to get into a safe space, not just go home because home may not be an option for them.
1: Yeah.
0: Yerrell?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, so interesting story. Uh, I'm really open about it now, but uh, wasn't really growing up. Um, In my household, there was domestic violence. So when I was between the ages of, like, 12 and 16, um, my father would fight my mom, and, you know, I was the oldest out of two, so I would jump in and and try to defend my mom. And, you know, there were times when, you know, HPD, the police, or the sheriff's deputies came and, and hauled Dad off to jail. And what's interesting about this whole dynamic is, while that was going on in our home, there were also the appearances that had to be kept up outside, right? So mm-hmm. that means at school, people didn't know with me at work. people didn't know with my mom and even family members had like no idea and and I, mm-hmm. I share a lot of stories today. Uh, on Facebook and social media and elsewhere. And I get really I, – I, it, it's almost like reliving it when I retell the story, but I retell it, and some people who knew us then and still know us today were like, wow, we had no idea. So I said all of that to say, pay attention to those around you. If you have a, a sister or a brother or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or a niece or a nephew – pay attention to those cues and then to be that alternate place to go. Because, you know, looking back, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in every club, right? The chess club, the after-school club, the lunch club, the dinner club. You know, like I was, mm-hmm. I was doing all of mm-hmm. that so that I wouldn't have to go home, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because wow. home was hell, you know. And so mm-hmm. pay attention to those – pay attention to that friend of yours is married – and seems like they never wanna go home. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To those those little cues because it could end up, you know, saving someone's life.
1: Wow. So so the help that we can offer, as Shanessa said, is, you know, to assist the agencies that offer assistance, and Jarrell indicated to pay attention to those around you and the cues, uh, that more than likely they're, they're providing or they're, they're giving to you. Um, it's just a matter of, at this point, listening. And now we all have time to listen, in a sense. We've probably had it before, mm-hmm. but I think we're, we're more open to listening now because right now we are all we have in a sense that mm-hmm. we're we're looking at each other in a different um from a different perspective because right now it's not about what you're wearing because many of us probably have on pajamas right now or <laughs> you know <laughs> we, we, okay I I'm raising my hand with that but that's okay that's another discussion <laughs> but you know it, it's not about that at this point It's about conversations. It's about connecting with one another. And I think now is the time that we can listen more um, and and be that shelter in a sense, even if it's a shelter of listening or uh, assisting someone in finding an agency or finding the information that they need in order to be in a safe space. And you you mentioned the homeless population. Yes. So the homeless population is... So what are we doing right now?
0: So they have, here in Dallas, they have provided shelters, um, temporary shelter for the homeless and practicing social distancing. But it's one of those things where you have to think about why do we keep providing Band-Aids? To the homeless let's help them not be homeless let's try to find a way to get them into some type of permanent shelter situation but they are providing these temporary shelters but the problem that you have is with practicing social distancing a lot of them are having to cut their capacity in order mm-hmm. to serve this population um so I really am concerned that we again still just don't have the resources to kind of help. I, I should say, as a as a state and as a country, we have the money. We just don't have the resources to invest and get those people off the street. But they are too going to be very vulnerable to this disease um, in more ways than one. You know, I, I don't know if they'll be treated well going into a medical facility mm-hmm. if they're ill. I'm concerned about that because I really believe that they ought they should receive the same level of treatment as someone who's insured. But I am concerned that they are not gonna get the services that they need.
1: That it concerns me in terms of I know that we're having uh this drive through testing, but mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about how that works beyond calling <laughs> and getting a number.
0: Don't you? You have to drive through, well, correct? You have to drive through, but it's even it's deeper than that. Let's talk about that for a second because the testing is a hot, hot mess. Um, I actually have three colleagues right now, former colleagues, who need to be tested. Their primary care doctors think that they should be tested, but because they have three out of five symptoms. They're told that they're not um, eligible for a test. Um, And then I had a conversation with an administrator of one of the hospitals who's providing the test, and they put in all these different restrictions to maintain some minimum level of test. They don't care that people aren't being tested. It's like the most ridiculous thing that you want to be able to say, oh, yeah, I have 200 tests on hand but I'm not going to go below that 200 in order to test someone. That's where we are. There is not widespread testing, and that scares me. In a city like Dallas, that we don't have the resources to test people and that people who are insured who primary care doctors say that they should be tested but because there's additional guidelines that are outlined at these testing facilities that's intended to politicize this so to be able to say yeah we have tests on hand instead of testing the individuals who need them that's a problem
2: and in Houston i know our mayor just announced that um from now on you don't have to have symptoms, that anyone who wants to be tested can be tested, and I think that's the opposite end of the spectrum, which I think makes sense. In a a perfect world, you know, we should at least have tests so that people know whether they should be quarantined or not.
1: So what do you do with that, again, that vulnerable population, the homeless population that. They,
0: there they, has to be someone let's advocating. Let's say they don't have behalf. the
1: telephone. Yes, they don't have the telephone to call and wait to get. Because you. although um, Mayor Turner has stated that you, you don't have to have the symptoms, you are still required to call and get a number. And then I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to test you if you walk in. I think you have to be right. in a car or a vehicle. So it's how, like how are we? be a barrier. Yeah, how is, the, how is the community addressing that, or are they um, doing testing in shelters? I'm not sure, but does anyone know if they're doing any testing in the shelters?
2: So I did some calls around um, a couple of days ago just to see kind of what intake was looking like, and from what I can tell, people that are symptomatic, they're figuring out some kind of way to move them to a shelter where they can you know, have a separate room that's really limited, um, and there's some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The city is put some money into renting hotel rooms at two hundred dollars a night, um, <laughs> in order to, you know, wow. So so, so they're so they're able to, and, and we're paying for those rooms every night, regardless of how many are being used. Um. So mm-hmm. so I know that's kind of what's being done, but when it comes to. Social distancing—it's impossible when you look at a place like, uh, you know, any of the mm-hmm. places in downtown Houston that are shelters because they're they're, they're built with two tier and three tier bunk beds. Um, they're in dormitory mm-hmm. settings; it's very close quarters. The restrooms are are public. I mean, everything is is community. It's community and it's shared. And what? And another thing that's really interesting. Uh, And, Janessa, maybe you could talk talk a little bit about this. Um, As far as I understand it, the the night shelter in Dallas is the Kay Bailey Hutchison uh, Center for the Homeless. But then during the day, they're busing them to the day shelter so that they're not there all day.
0: Um, I think that it's a different facility, but I agree with you. I think that's what's happening. I know there are some hotel rooms that are being rented as well. Um, so, yeah, I think they are doing um, something similar.
2: Yeah, I know, said, I know so what
0: they are doing. You said
1: what? There's a reporter, uh, Sarah Smith, for the Houston Chronicle. So if anyone is um, interested in really finding out uh, even more details in regards to the homeless population, she's on Twitter. She does a great job in uh, finding out what's happening among that population. Uh, And Mm -hmm. and so that's a resource for anyone who is listening and wants to know more information. And, of course, you can always contact Vanessa and Darrell. there on social media. So you can definitely connect with them as well. But there's another population, and I know that people will have a difference of opinion on this population. I think I know where you're going. (laughs) Yes. And Darrell is familiar with this population, and he will explain why he's familiar. Let me preface
2: the the prison
1: population. (laughs) Let me explain. He will explain why he's familiar with that population.
2: Absolutely. So, my very first job out of high school was as a correctional officer, aka a prison guard, working uh, down in Sharon uh, for Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And uh, I ended up working there for five years and I left as a lieutenant in 2010. So, mm-hmm. what's
1: happening with that population? I know there was a time when they were releasing them for like $10 bail and, you know, things of that nature mm-hmm. and I know there's a difference between people who are in there who can't pay bail and people who are I don't know what they're doing there so, but
0: yeah that, that's so exactly why that a they, to us that a lot of systems are are releasing doing early release like if they were scheduled to be released in the next 3 months 3 to 6 months Some are doing early release. If they're nonviolent offenders, they're releasing them. I know in the state of Alabama that was happening as well as um, here even in Texas. I think that the Bureau of Prisons actually sent out some guidelines um, around it because obviously there's prison overcrowding as well. Um, So I do think that they are a vulnerable population, but the question that I have is from a societal perspective, Will people care?
2: So, so it's, it's really interesting because from at the county level, the, they're, they're doing two different things to, to lower the population. On one end, yes, they're doing compassionate. They want to do compassionate release, uh, like Shanessa said, for mm-hmm. those who, you know, low-level drug offenses, stuff like that. Now, on the other end, you have people that actually have violent uh, charges mm-hmm. and previous violent charges, murder. There was a there was a story in the Houston Chronicle about um, some guys that were robbing a gun store. The gun store owner ended up living next door, so he heard the alarm go off and you know sort of called out, "Hey, stay inside! If you come out, I'm going to shoot." The police are on the way. Well. He didn't know there were some people standing behind him as well that were with that group. And so a shootout ensued, okay? One mm. of the people ended up losing their lives. Another was just released the other day um, for, for fees. They just had to pay $1,300 in fees uh, basically to get their GPS and everything set up. And that's just an example of sort of the, the far-reaching end of, of, of where this is going, um, because at the end of the day, you're talking about social distancing. It does not exist behind bars. So uh, I know that that's mm-hmm. at the county level, at the state level, uh, my mom is still a correctional officer, um, and I and I'm talking to her all the time, and she's telling me they're checking temperatures of the the officers on their way in. That's ludicrous to me. That's insane because you could be carrying. Uh, COVID-19 and not know it and not show a tip. Mm. Mm-hmm. So do you think,
1: as Janessa stated, do you think society cares or even for people who haven't been convicted, they, they're in there because, you know, we, we have a terrible bail system situation going on and mm-hmm. and that's another story in itself so do you feel, uh, Garel that people even care about this particular vulnerable co- population, or do they consider it a vulnerable population?
2: I, I would guess they wouldn't care um, as, a, as a whole. I think family members, of course, will care, family members of those incarcerated. But something as simple as, and I'll give you an example, we started registering voters at the county jail uh, in 2018. Uh, we started a project called Project Orange. And this is just for those who are still eligible to register, meaning, you know, they've been charged, but they haven't been convicted. You would have thought we <laughs> – I don't even know what, 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 what symbol to give, but basically all of hell broke loose. People went insane at the idea of us registering voters who happened to be temporarily incarcerated. So I would guess, you know, the, the masses um, – for the most part, are just overlooking overlooking that population. But little do they know, you have people that are going in and out every day, and if they're not cared for, if the inmates aren't cared for, you have officers and medical staff and other people that are going to be more likely to end up in your local HCB or Walmart, you know, or your family member. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: So again what what do we do about that you know um should we care i think we should they're human beings and um
2: mm-hmm. again some of
1: them have been um put in jail and may maybe not charged with the crime or charged with the crime and haven't you know gone to court and maybe they couldn't find anybody that you know would pay their $1000 bail or whatever it, it may be they haven't been convicted mm-hmm. so what what happens with that population? I know that Sheila Jackson Lee um, was on uh, television, on the news the other day, and she said, well, what happened in Chicago cannot happen in Houston. So as far as what's going on in the prison population in Chicago. So what do you see, uh, and, and again, Darrell, you have more experience with this, what mm-hmm. do you see happening that, that people are saying, hey, we do care. We want everybody right. tested. Or is that even happening?
2: So what's really interesting, and I talk about this all the time, I've often said that the prison, even when it came to hurricanes and stuff, seemed to be more prepared than the free world. Um, during Hurricane Ike, uh, I ended up, you know, leaving work. I couldn't wait to get off work that morning and go home, but I had no lights and I had no water. But when I went back to work, We had water. We had generators. They had those big oil barrels, right, filled with water in Mm -hmm. preparation for. So I said all of that to say now we've reached a point where we have a pandemic. And believe it or not, this is not the first time um, that that prisons have had to deal with this. So there have been instances in the past where shingles or, you know, some other communicable disease, ended up in a prison, and they have a system for it. And so what ends up happening, they shut it completely down. No one in, no one out as far as the inmates. Mm -hmm. And then you have to segregate the workforce. So what ends up happening, hey, we need 66 officers, okay, that are going to stay at this hotel for the next six weeks, right, on a two-week, you know, about two-week basis. There's going to be intense physical, you know, to make sure that we're all good, going in, and then same thing going out, because if not, you you, you have these little Petri dishes spread across the U.S. Mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. you know, you have 100 men sleeping in a space the size of a gymnasium, and it's it, you're, mm-hmm. you're waiting on it to, to explode. So, I mean, I I would have thought with the extreme measures that were being taken nationally and even at the state level, when I saw the NBA say, you know, no more, like, like we're we're not having a, a season. I said, okay, that's time for the governor to go ahead and you know shut it down. And what do you, I mean, but mm-hmm. we would have had to have tests. You know, that that's the only way yeah. it works is if you can test and see who. Like, how do you sort the people? Because when it comes to the prison system, they're really good at quarantine. They have systems for that, but they're just not able to enact it. And even to this day. You know, there are they, – they made these little cotton masks, and I saw pictures of it, and it's like, this is a false sense of security. I think early on, it should have been locked down. The Harris County Jail should not be mixing in new cases, right? New people coming mm-hmm. in should not be mixing mm-hmm, yeah. in the general population. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know what?
0: They – do you think they don't have those protocols? Like if there's someone being arrested now, you think they're not being separated from someone who has been there 14 plus days?
2: So I know for a fact that so when, when, you, when, you end up, when you first get arrested, you go to the county jail. Eventually you go to court, mm-hmm. and then after court, when you get your sentence, you go to the penitentiary, right? So TDC, who runs the penitentiaries, has now said, we're not taking anybody from any of the counties anymore. Like, we're just not, mm. right? But each of the counties themselves are doing things totally different. So Harris County, which is the largest in the state, they have a, a separate processing center for, for, like, people that are coming in. So if you're going to spend a night in jail, you'll never go over to general population. You're going to be at the new center, right? Like, you'll never mix in. However, how look at look at how long we've been – matriculating, and people have been going over to that side and without having been tested. Think about the people mm-hmm. who have gotten this and are in the county jail that have not been uh, tested, that have been put in dorms with people that have been there. Mm-hmm. Some people have been there a couple of months. Some people have been there uh, over a year. Wow.
1: So it, it's going to – the only way – any of this is going to change for that population in particular and really for all of them, but in that one in particular is for who to get involved. Is it going to have to be at the uh, state level or national or what, what, what will need to be done to help that population?
2: I think it's the governor um, because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when you, when, I mean, if we wanted to send the National Guard, because at the end, of, if this is not contained, and I mean, luckily, things are happening way better than I, when I looked at what the worst could be, um, things are things are happening way better uh, than what I thought they could have been. Because, you know, at the end of the day, when you have officers that are either too sick to go to work or that are calling in out of fear of going to work, who's going to run these prisons and jails, you know, there are plans to bring in. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, like code red, it's in the books. That magic binder I was talking about last time that I thought, you know, our <laughs> government would have for this, they have this for TDC for the yeah. for the for the prison system. Mm-hmm. So I mean, at, at that, I think at the it's going to take our our state senators, our state representatives, applying pressure to the lieutenant governor and the governor who appoints the the executive director of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And then you have a, a, a board for the um, Texas Commission on Texas Commission on Jail Standards (TCJS). Mm-hmm. So it's it's on them to sort of roll with this. They've been given updates every day, and <laughs> it, it's it's kind of comical to read it because it's like, wow. So I read all this, and basically none of those things have been enacted yet. It's almost like they're mm-hmm. waiting on you know, the, the, the powder keg to kind of sizzle a little bit before it's like, okay, here's what we have to do.
1: Wow. So now we're going to switch lanes a little bit, and we're going to talk about another vulnerable population. And right now it, of course, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is the African-American um population. As we've seen the reports, more and more minorities and African Americans, in particular, are getting the disease. Of course, the first rumor was that you know African Americans don't get this disease, and um, now it's happening, and it's happening at a much faster rate um, for this community than any other community at this time. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me, Janessa. What's happening with these testing centers? Because i I've, I've read where they're not in the communities where they need to be. People have to travel very far in order to get, you know, mm-hmm. to these resources. What's happening with that population?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, when you look at the most, the most vulnerable um, states in zip codes. Um, I I when I initially read the article that said, um, you know, testing testing zones or testing centers are 35 miles plus um, from most of the harvested zip codes, I went and checked those zip codes, and those zip codes look to be predominantly African-American or even Latino zip codes. The ones that have the most deaths and the the highest infection rates have the furthest testing facilities. That's just ridiculous. It's almost the as if it's designed not to serve the population who needs to be served. Um, when you look at the tracing that has happened for Milwaukee and even for Detroit, um, the origins of how those strains of the virus to the African-American communities, there was no, no initial carrier who brought it from abroad or from another state. It came through service occupations where you find many African Americans in some type of service occupation, whether it's a grocery store clerk, whether it's a police officer or even a pastor, because those are the people who are getting hit the most, those who are serving the population, they are more, we are just more exposed. So I'll tell you about Michigan, (laughs) the nearest test, there's two zip codes, Dominant african Americans four eight one They've had over 300 deaths, and they wow. have, I think, 1,200 people are infected. They would literally have to travel 39 miles to the state fairgrounds in Detroit in order to get tested. If they don't have this note from their doctor, then, then, then they can't go to the local hospital. That's just ridiculous. Why would there not be a testing center in the midst of the zip codes that are hit the hardest? That just makes no sense.
1: So, with with that being the government responsibility, not their response, because we 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 can discuss their response, but what is their responsibility <laughs> in this to ensure? Uh, that the testing sites are moved closer because one of the things that we always know that in certain communities, I'll just put it like that, uh, there is a metro bus system. Why is there a metro bus system in certain communities? Because there, they may have lack of transportation. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you put a testing center outside of a bus route, or what have you, Mm -hmm. then what? Because, of course, if they get on the bus, and I don't know whether the buses are still running or not, but if they were to get on the bus, then that's the potential to pass it along as well. So what is the government's responsibility, or is this a community responsibility? Is it time for that community in particular to say, hey, you know, we, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to find a way to do it, but we're going to do it on our own.
0: What is what? Where do we sit right so, now? Darrell? So if you think about the strategy, can I just say this? If you think about the strategy of it, because everybody was screaming in the beginning, there's no test, there's no test. Now there's a handful of tests, and each state has some, right? So now they don't want people to scream that, but we know that, that supply could be exhausted today if the people who want to get tested actually could get tested. So when you think about it, it's all political in nature. The government, the challenge that you have is the government has all the keys. They control what tests get approved by the FDA, what tests actually get out to be distributed. So with that bottleneck in itself, the tests that are out there is very limited. You can't get them from a private supply. If you could, I would think that city governments and other community groups would actually get them.
2: And, and, and I would add to that, you know, when asking, you know, what is their responsibility? I think, I think back to when I was in high school, I remember when tardiness was a problem. Uh, I mean, you know, they got to the point where they were on the PA system saying, you know what, teachers, lock your doors. When we ring the bell, lock your doors. And anybody who's not in, wow. well, go to the auditorium and, 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 and get, get a detention. And then, get this, that didn't work. I will never forget, I was a senior when this happened, I heard the assistant principal on the PA system saying that since it wasn't improving from now on, anyone who was late was going to be suspended. I laughed. I laughed out loud because I knew it was a free-for-all. This is a, this is not a – this is not – you know, I mean, I think I was in like, you know, when you're a senior and you, you, you're, you're taking, like, economics and, like, English 4, but then if you're like me and you weren't really optimistic, you took, like, art, you know, or band. So I'm, like, in band with, like, some ninth and 10th graders, and they're all, like, shaking, you know, and, like, scared, like, oh, no, we're going to be – and I'm like – and I'm thinking – no, you're not, because they can't suspend that many kids. That's not sustainable. And I think in the same lens, what they have put forth is, like, guidelines has made absolutely no sense, so people have stopped depending on it. Uh, I had a, a death earlier this week, or actually it was last week. Uh, once again, what, what is today? Uh, but I had a, I had a death in the family <laughs> exactly. and family. I was trying to convince – I found out that all my aunts went over my one aunt's house. I call over there, and it's a house full of people, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. Like, I'm banging my head saying, please. Like, you know, this is – but look at the situation. And so the funeral is going to be uh, this Friday, and on the, on the you know, the, the digital thing, it just says, We're asking for visitors to wear gloves and masks, but they're not Mm -hmm. going to follow the social distancing rules. And I think the government's Mm -hmm. responsibility is to put forth rules, right, for the safety and security Mm -hmm. of of the, the citizens, but also to make it realistic, to make it understandable, and you have to enforce it because you can tell me all day long, not to do x, y and z, but as soon as okay. I see okay you're not giving me an alternative i'm I'm just going to mm. slowly slide into to my normal reality
0: so i I hear what you're saying you're right. I mean, just this is difficult for everyone because it's something we can't see right you know if it, if there was some big red spot, just huge, looming outside our homes. <laughs> probably wouldn't go out there and hang out with it. Um, so we can't see it. You know, there's a certain invincibility that um, we have, especially our youth. And, you know, we, we tend to think that we can survive just about anything because we have survived just about anything. But this is different.
2: But right. I think
0: we just got to – you know, I'm fearful that a lot of us are going to perish in this before we realize that this is different.
2: Right. I think. I think but it's going to have But do you
1: think they But do you believe that the narrative is changing? And and when I say that, in terms of the vulnerable population of the African American community, um, the Surgeon General is that his title? I want to make sure that I'm saying that correctly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he's to stop drinking and doing drugs and things of that nature, which I thought was irresponsible, but that's just, you know. Um, so the, the narrative no. is changing, and when, <laughs> and when you change the narrative, then people's perception changes, just as the initial narrative was that it was an older person's disease, so Everybody who wasn't considered quote-unquote old decided, hey, I can go outside, I can dance, I can do whatever Mm -hmm. I want to do. And now Mm -hmm. the face of the disease or the virus, sorry, is African-American. And so now you have that perception. And so do you believe that the government's response is now going to pivot based on that fact?
0: So I think the government is actually part to blame for the lack of urgency and the lack of um, understanding of how serious this is. Um, when you don't see um, makeshift hospital being thrown up in your neighborhood, or you don't see that testing is a priority in your neighborhood, how exactly am I supposed to take this seriously? I think the two most irresponsible things that Jerome did. The Surgeon General this past week was to attempt to highlight um, poor habits that are not just a, a, are not just um, apparent in our communities, but in every community in America. Mm-hmm. There's drugs and alcohol, but I don't see the numbers saying thousands of drug addict drug addicts and alcoholics are dying of this disease. That's not the case. Two people that I mm-hmm. knew. Ran marathons last year. One was a vegan, never smoked, African American male, forty-four years old. He is dead. So don't sit here and attempt to deter attempt to say that because of the poor habits that we have, we're dying. That is not the reason. That is not it. And you need to do something more than chastise and make these blanket statements to make it appear that, that we are doing these things so that we are expendable. You actually should do something about it. Commit to testing. Commit to tracing. Actually get those most vulnerable hospitals the supplies that they need instead of criticizing what they're currently doing.
2: Right. I it would is this say,
0: administration. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to
2: say, I also think it's there's a certain trust that has to be rebuilt, I think, with the government in general. Like, I've stopped watching 45 uh, press conferences. Like, I mean, it's a joke at this point. And even I would say locally, we're not getting needed information, right? Like, they're going on, they're talking for, you know, 45 minutes. An hour, and they're not giving mm-hmm. us anything new. It's kind of like, oh, we mm-hmm. came here, we saw this. Here's what we're trying to do. You know, there, there's nothing new, and there's this, this trust that's there because one minute you told me not to wear a mask, now you're telling me to wear a mask.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And one minute you told, I mean, it's it's the trust is gone, and so you know, I'm mm-hmm. kind of dependent on Fauci at this point. When I see him get up there, I'm like, okay, now what's up? Right. Right. But I will say that you're I think right. People when you are talk looking about for trust.
1: answers.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. When you talk about trust, three weeks ago, four weeks now, Jerome was screaming, Don't wear masks. They can't do anything for you. Don't do it. You know why he was screaming that? Because consumers were stopping up all the PPE before the government could. Now when they're in a better place. Mm-hmm oh, yeah, maybe you guys should wear a mask. Let me show you how to make one. Really, guy? You can't <laughs> show me nothing. You right. were into that space, and you had, you had me convincing others not to wear masks because you said it wasn't necessary. But then you want to create a PFA on how to make a homemade mask? Kick rocks. Nobody wants to hear from you.
2: <laughs> it's true.
0: I, and I, candidly, I think he candidly, lost. <laughs> candidly, an anesthesiologist in this role is not the right guy. Period.
2: Oh, he's an anesthesiologist.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Wow, I didn't know that. Nothing I, against anesthesiologists. Not yes, of
1: role. course. I, I I think he lost credibility when he provided that insight, but when, again, it was thought of as an older person virus, he did not provide the same instructions. So you, you can't say, okay, exactly. it, it's, you know, a senior's virus, you know, uh, stay home and do A, B, C, and D, but when you determine that it's, um, ravaging the African-American community, you utilize, well, don't do drugs and don't do this as if that's all that African-Americans do. Because for those of you who are listening, that is not all that African-Americans do. And understand another thing, there are there is an opioid epidemic, and we don't want mm-hmm. to put a face on it, but we know what the face looks like. So... Right. Uh, what we're not going to allow Jerome to do is make us the face of this virus so that there is no help that will come to us because what what the perception is that we've done this to ourselves. And we exactly. make it seem as if someone has done it to themselves. They've made this, this decision on their own, and that's why they have it. One of the questions I asked on Twitter, I said, explain to me, you know, and Shineshla, and you've explained it, and I'm glad you did. How did it come to our population? Because many of us are not traveling to China. Mm-hmm.
2: So, right. <laughs> let,
1: let, let, no, let's don't. make this clear. <laughs> you know, let's make this clear to those of you who are listening that. This is not a disease based on, you know, some, some uses of uh, drugs and alcohol because a lot of the population and not just African Americans utilize drugs and alcohol. So, Jerome, what we want you to do is we don't want you to explain to us with your asthma inhaler, and this is nothing against people who have asthma, and, and, and we don't want you to explain, well, my brother-in-law is Puerto Rican. no. That's not what we're here for because we've heard that a lot of times when people of another race have an issue right. and they say, well, one of my best friends are African-American.
0: Right. That's right. what it felt like to me. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And it, not only but, that, it was a slap in the face for a black man to stand there and and mm-hmm. derate and decorate who we are as a people, as to say that that is the underlying issue as to why we're dying by the thousands. With the number of vicious pastors, police officers, teachers, and students Mm -hmm. who have died in this past four weeks, I refuse to believe that they were all drug addicts and alcoholics.
2: Absolutely.
1: So we're going to – And this doesn't mean that we don't respect you, Jerome. We just want you to get your messaging right um, so that we won't continue to die at alarming rates because, you know, the perception, again, can become that this is an African-American disease and nobody else has to concern themselves with it.
0: So, And what I'll say to that is if you notice... If you notice right after his big speech about us doing it for Big Mamas and the Abby Lucas, when he had his big speech, suddenly the sentiment got real nasty the next day about, well, why are we sheltering in place? I saw it transition online. But now, people, suddenly you're fed up. It's not impacting our <laughs> community directly. Why are we? Really, why? Uh, because you made such a big deal. Like, hey, you guys, this population is dying. The next day, I'm not joking, the next day, you didn't even the next day, within hours, you saw this transformation of, well, when is the country going to open back up? Because it's not impacting my community.
2: Okay. Right. Well, and, and, and I would also say, you know, we're, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, that happened like maybe within the past couple of weeks when all of a sudden China had no new cases, and it's like a lot of people were scratching their heads trying to figure it out. I figured that one out. Okay, I can tell you what happened there. They're not count. They're not reporting it. And I think, you know, you said it earlier. This is a political thing. It's like, you know, there's a race to see who's best prepared, who has the most uh, tests available at the time, so they won't go below that number. No one wants to report, yeah. you know, high cases of. Positive results from from the test. I mean, this, this we've got to get beyond that. I think at the end of the day, we need they they've got to build trust with the the community or at large. hmm
0: Exactly. I've I've stopped exactly. watching the briefings, and I would encourage anyone else to stop watching them because if anything of thoughtfulness or anything that is rational and necessary for us to understand, mass media will pick it up. Otherwise, to sit there and watch them wax poetic about how great they've been as people are dying every day and as people cannot get tested, I have no inclination to give them one ounce of energy. None. Mm. Well, my anxiety, certainly... my anxiety has gone down uh-huh. dramatically since then, since I stopped since
2: watching. Since when?
0: Since I stopped watching. Oh, since I stopped you stop watching, watching the sure. day. I stopped watching the day he tried to shake all the CEOs' hands in the in the Rose Garden. We just said, "Don't shake hands." I stopped watching them <laughs> because my anxiety was on ten.
2: Seeing Walmart,
0: the CEO of Walmart and the CEOs of Target actually shaking hands, knowing that they've got to go back and work with people the next day. So no, I stopped watching, and I will tell you that part of that five o'clock anxiety hour. Mm mm, that's gone. Right.
2: I mean, it's it's kind of like ignorance is bliss. I've kind of just accepted, hey, Darrell, you just got to stay in this apartment. And, you know, Insecure just came out with a new uh, season. So, I mean, you got that once a week to look forward to. And, um, yeah, just look for Fauci. Look for, look for Fauci cuts <laughs> on Facebook. So, literally, I'm scrolling, and whenever I see that someone has shared something of Fauci, I watch. Mm-hmm. And that's it.
1: Okay. So we want you to look for Fauci. <laughs> we want you to skip the anxiety hour between five and six. Yes. And we also want you to tune in to Beyond Word, where you're gonna get more than words, you're gonna get results and you're gonna get information that can help you through this entire, you know, thing that the country is going through, that the world is going through right now. Um I want uh, Chinesa and Darrell to give us some last words, just really quickly. Darrell, what can we do next? We want to go beyond words. What are two things that we should do right now with the vulnerable? When it I comes would, to the vulnerable population,
2: I would I would just add to what I said earlier today. Pay attention to those cues. Pay attention to that friend you're on the phone with them, and all of a sudden their significant other says something, and they got to hop off the phone. Lean into that a little bit Don't, don't be overbearing don't, be, you know, don't jump too far But be that comforting space Whether it be you know, mm-hmm. To convince them or to allow themselves To convince themselves out of a situation Or to be that, that Safe place So that, that, That's my word of the week Pay attention to those around you and, and be that safe place if possible And if it's you Know that you don't have to be there That there are people around you um, who will help you if need be, even in this situation. Yeah,
0: So the two things I would like for you to do is, one, avoid the anxiety hours. If it's something you're learning, you'll get it from other sources. I assure you of that. The second thing I'd like for everyone to do is when you go and do your weekly grocery run, whether you're picking up grocery or you're in the store, pick up a bag of staples to drop off at the local domestic violence shelter. You don't have to fill mm. out a form. You don't have to do any of that. You can just drop the groceries off at the front of the door, and they will take them. They can be 5 or $10. It doesn't need to be much. The final thing I would say is preserve your own sanity in this craziness. Don't pick up everything you see and don't internalize everything that you see. Read things for yourself. And definitely don't get all your news from social media.
1: Excellent. Well, it has been another awesome conversation with Janessa White and Darrell Douglas. Thank you guys so much for hosting and being here on Beyond Words. I will see you guys next week. Yes,
2: or we'll talk next week. (laughs) See you next week? Oh, yeah. All right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Have a good night. Interested in advertising? Advertise today on the number one online radio network for entrepreneurs, Your 15 Minutes Radio Network. Contact us at advertise at your15minutesradio.com.